morning, and uh, it's a privilege to be up here once again to preach the word, and I'd invite each of you to turn to, to Mark 9, verses 14 through 29. That's where we're going to be this morning, and we're going to talk about authentic faith. We're going to talk about what it means to trust in God, as we just sung about. You know, on our, our website, if you go to HPC's website, you look at the main page, at the very top center, it says, Biblical Evangelical Reform. And that's designed to communicate a lot of different things, but one of them is that we are absolutely a church that believes that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. There is, there is no work we can do to earn salvation, and we want to be clear about that to everyone. Uh, but that does not mean that, that we can't take faith and twist it into a work. Uh, we often in the Christian life get bogged down into, into trying to measure our faith. And we get focused on having great faith. Um, so I want to talk about that today. And as we um, look at, at God's word, I, I want you to pay attention to, to just the different ways that people uh, view faith and, and the ways ultimately Jesus wades into this mess and, and brings healing and, a, and a, a right perspective on faith. So let's read the word together. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever he, it seizes him, it, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we humbled that uh, 
we have the opportunity to, to hear from your word, that in your word we find truth. Father, I pray that uh, as we dig into, into your word deeper this morning, that your Holy Spirit would awaken our hearts to what it is you would like us to hear. And I pray that this word would not return void, but that it would, that it would bring encouragement and hope to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want us to follow Jesus into a, a mass of confusion, uh, similar to Chattanooga in a snowstorm like last week. That was very, very confusing, especially for someone from Florida. But there is no snow here. There's, there's only failure. There's a, there's a failure to cast out a demon, and there is a, ultimately a failure of faith in this passage. We've got nine of Jesus' disciples. These are the guys that did not get to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe these are the, the JV disciples. Uh, and they, they fail. They fail to cast a demon out of this, this boy. And, and the people on the scene are confused. They are just, they don't know what to think because these guys, they're supposed to be good at this. Right? They're supposed to be able to do this. And, and they've got a reputation because back in Mark 6, Jesus had sent them out two by two. He said, go to the surrounding towns and have authority over unclean spirits. And Mark 6.13 is there in your bulletin. It says, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So they've done this before, and they've got a reputation. So what is different now? Well, I think if we, if we look later on at the very end of this, chat, this uh, passage, verse 29, Jesus says to them, this kind can only come out by prayer. In other words, you can't cast this demon out unless you pray. The implication, of course, is that the disciples didn't pray when they tried to cast this demon out. I think they were trying to do it based on their own authority, their own power, which was not enough. Maybe they felt like they were at a point where they could take off the training wheels, where they could, you know, they progressed to a level of faith to where they did not need to depend on Jesus anymore. Faith Jedi's, maybe. I don't know. But Jesus is very frustrated by this. In, in the ni- verse 19, he, he calls them a faithless generation. Now, what are we to make of that? I, I mean, is he saying that the disciples did not have any faith at all? I mean, I think that we can be safe in assuming that eight of these, eight of nine of these guys had saving faith, Judas Iscariot being the exception. So what is Jesus talking about here? I think he's talking about what I would call everyday faith. They lacked the kind of faith that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. He says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So this kind of faith that he's talking about, this everyday faith, is, it looks like trusting God as we walk through life. It's, it's trusting God 
when the bills are stacking up and we don't know how we're going to pay them. It's, tr- it's trusting God in the emergency room. It's trusting God as we try to figure out how to raise our kids. It's the type of faith that we live by. And in this moment, the disciples lacked this type of faith because they trusted themselves instead of trusting God. Now, I think the father of this boy was, was, it was pretty evident to him that he was not going to get anywhere with asking the disciples to heal his boy. And so he runs to Jesus in desperation. And it's interesting because, you know, as we get later on in this, this text, we see he's got some faith, but he also has some unbelief. He's kind of wrestling back and forth. There's a mixture there of, I believe, but I don't really believe. I'm not really sure where I'm at with you, Jesus. And, and part of the clue to that is that in verse 17, he calls, him, he calls Jesus teacher. As you probably know, it, when, when people called Jesus teacher, that usually meant they didn't think he was Lord. They didn't think he was the Son of God. They just thought he was a, a good teacher. You, you even hear that today. People talk about how Jesus was a great moral teacher. All kinds of cool things that he said. Maybe he drives a Volkswagen bus and likes, you know, tie-dye shirts, that kind of Jesus. Well, anyway, he, he comes to Jesus, teacher, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I, as I read this, I, I just kept thinking, you know, Jesus has, he's just got through feeding the 4,000 out of, out of a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And this guy probably knew about that. So what is, what is holding him back? Why does he not really fully yet believe in Jesus? And we're going to get to that in a second. But Jesus, his response to him is, look, you, you don't need to worry about what I can do or can't do. That's not the point. The point is, are you going to believe me? The point is, are you going to trust me? Are you going to have faith in me? Are you going to connect yourself to me? Because there's a difference between just belief, believing facts, believing that something is true or not true, and in faith, like Jesus is talking about here. You all know the, the famous verse in James 2, verse 19, where it says, even the demons believe and shudder. I mean, this demon, in this chapter, we can be pretty safe in, in saying that he probably believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But he didn't align himself with Jesus. He didn't love Jesus. He didn't trust Jesus. He despised Jesus. There's a difference. Faith is loving Jesus. It's making Jesus your master. And it's making Jesus your master even when you're not really sure if that's the right move. That's what this guy does here. I think here he trusts, this father trusts Jesus with saving faith here. But he also needs Jesus to help with the everyday faith. As an aside, verse 23, just want to spend a a second on that. It's very interesting uh, because Jesus says anything is possible for one who believes. And that, you know, maybe you hear that, you you might think that means that if you believe that Jesus can give you a lifetime supply of chocolate, okay, you got it, you know, or if you believe Jesus can give you a vacation home in Hawaii, then it'll happen. 
And if that were true, I think the Cubs would have won a couple more World Series by now, I promise you. Okay? And I would have the lifetime supply of chocolate. I don't think Jesus is saying that if you believe, it's guaranteed to happen. I think he's saying anything, well, what he says, anything is possible for one who believes. By the way, if you go to our website, look under the resources and, and the sermons, flip down to September 22nd, Robert preached a sermon called Ask Anything. Uh, it was a great sermon on this topic. I would encourage you to, to go back and check that out uh, to hear more on it. But um, for today, you know, just remember, Jesus is not a genie in a lamp. It's not about just coming to Jesus and, and asking him for stuff. We come to Jesus in faith seeking his help. And the point of this passage is that everyone lacks faith except Jesus. Jesus is the only faithful one here. And Jesus was the only one who could wade into this mess, this massive confusion, and bring hope and bring healing to the, to the demon-possessed boy, to the disciples, to the father, to the crowd. Jesus is the only one who could do anything of power here. And I think that's a key to understanding authentic faith. As we move into what I think is the key verse of this passage, we've got to understand what authentic faith looks like. Verse 24, the man says famously, help my unbelief. He's, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, what's he doing? Is he going back and forth? Yes, no, maybe, I don't really know. I mean, what's he doing here? And the, the Greek if you look at the Greek, the, the word for unbelief could also be faith, faithlessness or a lack of faith. And maybe this guy is saying, I, Jesus, I believe in you, but, but starting right now and for the rest of my life, I'm going to need you to help me with my lack of belief, with my lack of faith. I need you to help me with my weak faith because it's really weak. Authentic faith is not what the disciples, in this case, thought it was. I, I think the disciples looked at faith as a progression from weak to strong. That as you get older and as you learn more, that you're going to get stronger and stronger in your faith. And, and I think maybe they were at a point in this passage where they thought they did not need Jesus anymore because they had gotten strong enough. Their faith was enough to carry them. But the father in this passage, he rightly sees faith as a progression from strong to weak. You know that old saying, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know? I'm getting a little older. I'm starting to know what that means. Bear with me. But that's the, I think that's what's going on here. This man is seeing that the more, the more he looks at himself and the more that he looks at his attempt at faith, the more he sees weakness, the more he sees failure, and the more he sees his need for Jesus. We cannot get caught up in, in measuring our faith. It's not what the Christian life is about. It's, it's not about, you know, Jesus saves us one time and then we don't need him anymore. It's just, you know, it's not about us going off on our own trying to earn great faith working at it, working at it, working at it, trying harder and harder and harder. That's not the point. You know, we've been uh, really into the Winter Olympics. Um, 
it's fun to watch my boys watch the Olympics. I mean, they've never seen snow until this year, and, and now they get to see all these guys doing these crazy tricks on snowboards, and it's just really interesting. And, you know, one time Jennifer was in the car with them, and they were pretending that driving the car was an Olympic event, and praise God, she gotten, she didn't get a speeding ticket, so that was good. But they, they're having a great time watching this competition, watching these people work so hard at being the best. And I, I, it struck me that I feel like sometimes we think the Christian faith is like the faith Olympics and that we are all about getting better and better and better at our faith so that one day we'll stand on a podium with a gold medal of faith because of all the great work of faith that we did. I, I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus has in mind when he talks about faith. If you look at every instance where the, the Bible uses the word faith or faithful or faithfulness, it's almost 500 times. And there's very few of those verses that are about the quantity of our faith. Um, there's a couple I've listed here. Matthew 15, 28, uh, Jesus says that a woman has great faith. She's a Canaanite woman. Um, and he, several other times he, he uses the famous nickname, ye of little faith, um, Romans 14, 1, it, it speaks of those who have weak faith, which implies that there are also those who have strong faith. Second uh, Peter 1, 1, Peter talks about those who have obtained a faith that is of equal standing with ours. But, but please note there that it's by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not saying you obtain great faith or equal faith to ours because you did a great job. He's saying you did that because Jesus made it happen. Usually the Bible doesn't really speak a whole lot about the quantity of our faith. It's usually just using the word faith as in either having it or not having it. And then, by the way, when it talks of faithfulness or being faithful, quite often it's describing God. It's describing God's steadfast love and faithfulness. His faithfulness to us despite our always going away from him. Despite our sin, despite our rebellion, he's still faithful. The Bible quite often is talking about that kind of faithfulness. One really interesting passage is in Luke 17, 5 and 6, where the disciples basically command Jesus to increase our faith. We want more faith. And God, Jesus says to him, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I think Jesus is basically saying, you don't need to worry about having a lot of faith or a little faith. You just need to have faith in the right person, in the faithful one. Now, I don't think it's wrong to want strong faith. I don't think it's wrong to want to grow in our faith. It's good to grow in our faith. My point is that if we're focusing on faith, if we're focusing on that as our goal, we've got the wrong goal. When it snowed on Wednesday night and we were out playing it on Thursday morning, we had about probably eight inches of snow on the ground, which was fantastic. Our son Elijah, who's three, it came up to like his mid-thigh, you know, and, and he's trying to walk, this one time he's trying to walk through the snow and he just kept falling and falling and falling. It's slippery and he can't even pick his legs high enough to get up out of the, the snow and, you know, he just, 
You could tell there was a point, I was walking by him, you could tell there was a point where he realized he wasn't going to get out of the snow. So he just reached up and grabbed my hand. And we started walking through it together, and he kept falling a little bit. You know, he'd, he'd walk and fall and stumble, holding on to my hand like this. And, you know, the point was, it wasn't, was not about how well he walked in the snow. If that was what he was going to focus on, he would have been crying. Because he didn't walk in the snow very well. But he got through because he held my hand. He got through because he held tight to my hand. And I didn't let him go. It's not about how we walk through life, brothers and sisters. It's, it's about how tightly we cling to Jesus as we walk through life. And we are going to stumble. We are going to fall. We are going to mess up. We are going to fail. We've got to cling to Jesus or else... We've, we've missed the point of faith. I think one of, the, one of the great side effects of thinking that we can measure our faith and that we can uh, grow in our faith on our own strength is that we, we develop this kind of Christian peer pressure to appear faithful. I think, I think a lot of us feel like we cannot show failure. We cannot show vulnerability. We will fall behind in the faith olympics it becomes kind of a game of who can be who can look the most faithful there's a quote there by Tullian Chavigian who is Billy Graham's grandson he says we want to believe that we can do it all handle it all we desperately want to think that we are competent and capable we've concluded that there are that our life and our witness depend on our strength no one wants to declare deficiency, but it, it's in our declaration of deficiency that we find authentic faith. The Christian life is not about he who has the most faith wins. The Christian life is about trusting Jesus in faith as we walk humbly with him. This man, this father in Mark 9, I believe he is humble. I believe he wants to walk with Jesus. And in response to this man's humility and his authenticity of faith, Jesus heals his boy. There's a quote there by Donald English. He says, the miracle does not depend on the degree, quality, or amount of the man's faith, but only on his having faith to link him effectively with the ministry of Jesus. The emphasis then is not on the quality of our faith, but on the strength of the master with whom we are joined by faith. What is more, within that relationship, there is room for our faith to grow. Oh, the irony. We want to grow in our faith. We're supposed to admit that we lack faith and depend on God. It's not the way we typically think about growth. Growth in faith doesn't come from trying to grow in our faith. It comes from Jesus. Authentic faith happens when we beg Jesus to help us. Authentic faith is also what it takes for us to be faithful witnesses for Christ. You know, we, we are representatives of Christ as his church. Verse 17 is, is a really interesting verse. Uh, I don't know if you have, have caught this already, but the father runs up to Jesus in desperation. 
Look at what he says. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you. It's interesting. When he brought his son to the nine disciples, Jesus wasn't there. But he seems to equate the disciples with Jesus somehow. Like, like somehow there's some kind of representation of Jesus. So he says, I brought my son to your guys, your people. We have a witness as, as the church. We have a witness, but what kind of witness is it? Are we displaying our power, our glory? Are we displaying our pursuit of faith? That's what the disciples were doing. And I think their witness was hurt by that, by their lack of dependence on Jesus. So what is a lost world? lost community, a lost lost people of Hickson, what do they need to see? They need to see Jesus. And they need to see the light of Christ shining through us. They don't need to see us so much. And that involves vulnerability. It involves being vulnerable about our, vulnerable about our weakness and about our need for Jesus. You might have heard, in, in running across uh, non-believers, you might have heard the phrase high and mighty, the way they, des- they describe Christians quite often. It's kind of our reputation among some people, whether that's fair or not. Uh, one time in Florida, I was with my friend David, and uh, we went to his friend's house to watch NASCAR. Not something I normally do, but I was up for it. And I didn't know this guy the guy that, whose house we went to. So we sat down, we were watching this race, and I guess his driver wasn't doing very well. He was cussing up a storm. I mean, I heard, I, I think he made up some cuss words. It was crazy. So, you know, the stuff cooled down a little bit, and he noticed that I was there, and he's like, hey, how you doing? We started small talk. What do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm in seminary, studying to be a pastor. Man, his face got so white, no more blood up here. He was so just apologetic and, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I said those words around you. And I'm like, hey, I'm a public school kid. I know. I've heard those words before. You know, it didn't bother me that much, but he was mortified, like he had just committed the unforgivable sin or something. And and I, I feel like, you know, people feel this pressure to straighten up around Christians, like, like if they come into our presence and they do anything wrong, that's like a big check mark against them somehow or something, you know, I, and I think that inside, they either scoff at us or they walk on eggshells around us because they're thinking, I could never be good enough to be a Christian. They've got a, they've got a gold medal in spiritual awesomeness. And I cannot even qualify for that competition. I did not have a conversation about Jesus with that guy that night. And maybe if that, maybe that's because I let him think he was right. That I was spiritually awesome. Truth is, I am a sinner. I am weak. My faith is weak. And Christians, we've got to tell people the truth about ourselves. 
We've got to let them in on the big secret that we're a mess. We are not spiritually awesome. We are a spiritual train wreck because we are sinners. And the only thing that makes us any different from anybody is that for some strange reason, Jesus chose to rescue us out of our sin and misery. And that is the message we have got to send to the lost world around us. This is, this is not about that God thinks that we make a great addition to his team. This is, this is straight up Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is about his glory. It's not about us being awesome. We need to be jars of clay. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, you probably know that verse. We, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The lost need to see God's glory on display in us. And I think that means we need to show them our weak faith and our dependence on Jesus. Well, in closing, I, I think this ought to be of encouragement to us. You know, be, because the pressure's off. We don't have to be the strong ones. We don't have to achieve high faith. We don't have to win a faith gold medal. We don't have to project a false image to the world that we have great faith. The good news of the gospel is that it is, it is not about the strength our faith. It's about the strength of the object of our faith. We do not place faith in our faith or believe in our faith. We place our faith in Jesus Christ, who is the object of our faith. And, and yes, absolutely, it is good to want to grow in our faith, to study the scriptures, to know the scriptures, to spend time with the Lord in prayer, to spend time fellowshipping with believers holding each other accountable, sharpening each other, but only with the goal of knowing Jesus and loving Jesus, not with the goal of, of making our faith great. Faith is not, it is not a personal achievement. It's how we receive Christ. Christ has achieved all that needs to be achieved. And so we can, as, as Walter Marshall says, I have a quote there in the, in the bulletin, says, we can have true confidence of God's favor because of the free promises of the gospel. Even when you walk in darkness and can see no shining light in your own qualifications. When we walk in darkness, when we struggle, when we doubt, when we see the mess that is our lives. It is time to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on Jesus faithful one, the one who was faithful and obedient every single day of his life, the one who was faithful in suffering, the one who faithfully went to the cross and died with the, the weight of our sin on his shoulders, the weight of the sin that crushed him and killed him. He became sin for us, and we get life out of the deal. A life of walking with him by faith. He made it possible for us to depend on him 
in faith. If you are here and you've never believed that today, I, I would encourage you to believe that today, plain and simple. Trust Jesus. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is. And you need to connect yourself to him. If you're here today and you already believe, you've believed for 40 years, look to Jesus in faith, not to yourself. John Owen, who quite often is really above my head, I think I get what he's saying here, though. He says, let faith look on Christ in the gospel as he is set forth, dying and crucified for us. Look on him under the weight of our sins, praying, bleeding, dying. Bring him in that condition into thy heart by faith. Apply his blood shed, so shed, to thy corruptions. Do this daily. Doing this daily, preaching the gospel to yourself every day, all day long, depending on Jesus when you're strong, and especially depending on Jesus when you're weak, when you are flailing through the deepest, darkest trails of life, trials of life, or trails. That's when we're most open to God's work in our hearts. That's when he grows us in faith. Being a Christian does not mean your problems disappear. It means you walk through them with Jesus. It's not about the strength of your faith. Please do not focus on that. Or you, you'll end up on a, a hopeless treadmill of self-worship. And then you'll fall off in utter discouragement when you realize you're going nowhere. I'll close with a quote from, another quote from Tully and Chavidian. It says, the hope of the Christian faith is dependent on God's display of strength not ours. God is in the business of destroying our idol of self-sufficiency in order to reveal himself as our soul sufficiency. This is God's way. He kills in order to make alive. He strips us in order to give us new clothes. He lays us flat on our back so that we're forced to look up. God's office of grace is located at the end of our rope. Let's pray. Father God, we, again, are humbled that we could even come before you this morning to worship. We can only come before you because of Jesus Christ, the faithful one. I pray, Father, that we would walk with him every single day, holding tight to him, that you might grow us in faith and in grace so that we might be displays of glory for all the world to see displays of your glory. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.